the weekend. Variety. Wireless. Yeah, daddy-o. Ba-da-ba-da. Skeptical thoughts, um, part two. We're just carrying on, but uh, at this juncture, I also tell you a little thing about that's coming up later on tonight. There's an absolutely gorgeous, neat book called Pathway of the Birds. It's by a guy called Andrew Crow, who's done so many wonderful natural history books. Usually, the small, handy one, What the Hell Insect Is That? know your spiders and stuff like that and they're the most used things that i um i've worn out his insect book and had to get another one anyway he's done a book which is very very different from all of those and it's about polynesian voyaging and how on earth it was done and an amazing level of detail and combination of disciplines and science that you don't actually see a lot of these days um and it comes highly recommended Andrew Crow, he'd normally be a guest, but he didn't feel like doing an interview, which I thought was really kind of sweet. I think he was just shy, which is lovely. So I got Lisa Matasu-Smith, who knows more than you or I put together. She'll probably forgotten more than we'll ever know about uh, Polynesian migration. She's done amazing genetics into this as well. I got her a copy of the book and she's gonna tell us what she thinks of it uh, later on this evening. That'll be in the next hour after John Dibvig. All right. Skeptical thoughts with Susie Wiles. Oh, so much more to have a look at. And every now and again, uh, something really, really nuts comes up. We've got a very special visitor here in New Zealand, haven't we? This belly button guy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> have you got the video? Have you got the link to the video of the um, of the description of the device? That'll be up on the thing when we put it in the thing. I okay. hope I'm not getting too technical on you here, but if you know it's what I mean, thing. online yeah. it is yeah. a thing, it, isn't it? So yeah, there's this thing called belly button healing that mm. this this dude um, who was a, some kind of well, he is a, some kind of Korean spiritual leader and a uh, kind of he invented some form of um, yoga, I think. Uh, and uh, so he invented this belly button healing and and a device, the belly button healing wand, yeah. uh, which is yellow yeah. um, and has uh, it's got a particular texture thing, so you've got good grip. It's so important. So important. And uh, basically what you – so it looks like – well, how would you describe it? It's it looks like, like something that maybe a person who does a rare craft has in their <laughs> shed. Yeah. A former cobbler perhaps yeah. might have one of these things, but it you wouldn't know what for. Yeah, It'd so it's be a, a T-shape. Yeah. And you can basically hold on to any two bits of it, like their handles, mm. and then you poke the other bit into your belly button. Of course you well, do. You, po- you pop it in your belly button, and then you... Uh, with a certain amount of pressure, rhythmically poke it, your belly button. Here's a very cheerful description (laughs) from said video. I'm here to tell you that this is the star of a new self-acupressure healing method called the belly button healing. And this particular tool is called the Healing Life Tool. So this tool was developed by mind-body expert Il Chili and all of these four points were carefully constructed to heal your belly button. You're probably wondering why the belly button? Why should I care? (laughs) I thought it was just a scar from my birth. But actually the belly button serves as the center point of your digestive organs. And we all know how important your gut health and your digestive health is for your overall body. 
This tool is actually a very, very handy device because if you try to do belly button healing with your own thumbs and your own fingers, it puts a lot of strain on your shoulders, your chest, and also your arms. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that it's terrible, <laughs> isn't it, when I'm doing belly button training? It's just exhausting, thank goodness we have one of these now. Yeah, that costs over a hundred US dollars. You're joking! No! <laughs> it's just anyway, it's I mean she's very chirpy and she's it obviously works for her. <laughs> but yeah. What's so important about your belly button? Other than she said it's everything the to do with everything. your center of your digestion. <laughs> no, it's not. We can prove this. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we should prepare um, because this we may well be seeing more of these belly buttons, uh, belly buttons, belly button wands, healing wands, and belly button healing because mm. the uh, the the um, the spiritual leader who invented it um, is basically developing a uh, what's he calling it a global youth training center mm -hmm. on the outskirts of Kirikiri in the Bay of Islands mm. and um, he's buying up an awful lot of stuff at the moment um, apparently last week his representatives um, put forward their plans to the far north district council about what he wants to build um, and it's really impressive so it's can I, I'm going to read for you from the map mm -hmm. um, so it's going to have lots of cabins Nice. Uh, it's going to have woodworking experience, whatever that is. You might need um, your thing. It's going to have uh, the headquarters, a training hall, an Earth Citizen uh, theme park. Because they're called the Earth Citizens Organization. Yes, eco. <laughs> oh. Yeah. They're going to have a stadium, uh, waterfalls. I think they might already be there, the waterfalls. Yep. Um, it looks like they might be some Haruru horses. nearby. Right, right. Um, yeah, physical training park, uh, or two of those, um, some trees. I think they're already there. Marketing um, wing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really interesting. He's, uh, something like $35 million or something he's going to mm -hmm. invest. And he's saying that, um, they're basically going to want people from all around the world to come and to step away from their daily chaos and awaken to their innate potential right. while recharging their mind, body, and spirit. Ooh. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, apparently he uh, – so his the yoga movement that he uh, founded um, has had a little bit of controversy because apparently it's been accused of manipulating young people – and persuading them to enrol in expensive brain development courses also developed by him. So uh, I think it's one to watch. Let's see what happens on the okay. outskirts of Kerry Kerry. The, watch the out, Kerry Kerry. I know a lot of you are tempted. <laughs> I, I've seen you walking down from Hammer Hardware. I know you're tempted with this stuff. Just keep well away. <laughs> uh, okay. Is this yoga probiotic? That's a question. <laughs> Probiotics. A lot of news about this this week. For yeah. goodness, here's another thing we all think's true, and no, no, it's not anymore, and yes, it is, and no, it's not. What's going on? So there's been a really interesting study just published that looked at the impact of probiotics on a small group of healthy people. Mm. So probiotics are kind of everywhere, right? They're you know they're marketed as aiding health, uh, you know, your gut health, and in fact, there's claims made for all sorts of things. And mm. a few years ago, the European Union said to all the the manufacturers that they had to start if they were going to make these sort of health claims, they had to provide some evidence. And it was really interesting that none of them could actually provide enough evidence for the EU to say that they could really make those strong claims. So they okay. sort of had to dial them back. But everybody still believes this stuff. Um, and so these people uh, looked at 
um, these probiotics in healthy people in a slightly different way to other studies. So other okay. studies have done things where they've basically looked at people's poop. All right. So you kind of give people probiotics, look at the poop. And We've then got say, a, a cut here from News, uh, News Hub. Play, play the other, it. The other what... side of that glass. Or well, we're part of News Hub, aren't we? Thank you. <laughs> probiotics are living bacteria and millions of people buy them to help their digestive health. Microbiologists say they've evolved from containing one kind of bacteria to containing several different ones. The original probiotics were fermented milk products and that goes back about 100 years. But a new study shows that taking probiotics won't necessarily improve your health. The study shows that probiotics just pass right through many people's digestive tracts. It also shows that taking them to counterbalance antibiotics could delay the return of normal gut bacteria. Uh-huh. Yeah, so what was really interesting about the study is that the previous ones have only ever looked at poo samples, but these ones, they the study, what they did was they basically took poo samples and then also samples from all um, around the gut by giving people colonoscopies or endoscopies. And so then they've looked at the population of bacteria and how they are in the different places and then whether when people were taking probiotics or not, whether those bacteria were able to establish in any of those different bits of the gut. And what they found was like people are really different. So they had some of their people who they called colonoscopies colonization resistant so they were just like those probiotic the Irish just can't <laughs> just can't can't bind right they just go okay. straight through and then they had others who they might have taken a bit but then the really interesting finding was that if people had taken antibiotics and often people will take probiotics afterwards as a kind of like well I need to get all my good bugs back what they actually found was that it delayed the people's natural good bugs from being able oh. to get back in, you know, in the state they needed to be in. So oh. it's um, it was it's, a bacteria war going yeah. on, and there were <laughs> refugees. Is indeed? Um, so that so I'm going to make my um, my prediction. Because right. this, this is, by the way, listeners, you may not know if you're fresh to the program. This is your specialist area. Really, isn't it? Well, microbes well, are my microbes are. <laughs> um, I mean, and you don't want is, end of a bacteria from the other. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that's interesting is that probiotics have been re- shown to be really effective in some instances. For example, like young children in India who are um, who have many episodes of diarrhea because they don't have good access to clean water. It's been shown to be really effective in helping them. Good. So there are really there are like instances, but they are most you know. That people who are eating probiotic yogurts is not them, right? Um, but what the people at the claim at the end of the study or, or conclude at the end of the study is that probiotic treatment is going to have to be tailored to the individual person because they found these differences where people would just, you know, they would, the bugs wouldn't take. So my prediction is the next iteration we're going to see of the personalized vitamin stuff, you know, where you go on the website and you type your thing in and they just tell you what, right, it's going to be this. And I reckon it's going to be send us a poo sample, send us a swab from your cheek, Mm. and we're going to tell you what your DNA profile is, and we're going to tell you what your microbiome is, and we're going to tailor those probiotics to you. Uh, So I reckon uh, if you want to cut out the middle people, we should just do that. Like We could just set ourselves up because we know as much as the people who will be setting these companies up, frankly. Again, (laughs) where you need the marketing department to come into it. Uh, um, people have poo transplants, and that, that's yeah, true, well that's, isn't it? Yeah, and that's that's a really effective thing, and is used ve- for very specific things. So there is really clear evidence that for people who've had Clostridium difficile infection, which is a hideous kind of infectious diarrhea that happens to people who've ha- after antibiotic treatment, mm. usually in hospital, um, if you repopulate their gut with the the poo from healthy people. Mm. 
super, gets rid of that clostridium. So, yeah, but it's one of these. And then, and now, of course, all of the, oh, well, poo transplants must work for everything. It's like, no, no, right. it doesn't. Yeah. And you can, and people are offering that as a service too for thousands of dollars. So right. I'm just saying we could get in here at the very beginning of this, yeah, Graham, this, and make a killing. That guy, Michael, Michael Mosley, he's a serious scientist. And he, he does the occasional book. Um, he did the thing on the microbiome. Right. Um, and in there he had a chapter about this man who's hoping for the healthiest microbiome. He's, he's a European guy, but he's living with the Han Bushman and he's giving himself poo transplants with the Han Bushman, hanging himself upside down, actually, while they're administering. All sorts of strange things are going on. He's putting in a big effort. I don't know what's, whether that's all, all the go or whatever. Not quite as attractive, I think. Our marketing department might have a hard job selling that. <laughs> Although, you'd be surprised. It's, the, it's amazing the amount of crazy health um, yes. fads that go on. Coffee enemas. That, yeah, that eventually end up your poop hole. Yeah, well, yes. Okay. <laughs> the war on Infowars. Shall we move on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alex Jones. It took Twitter a long time. Yes. They were behind the curve with everybody else. Yeah. I I'd suspect that one of them, Facebook or whatever, said, nah, we don't want him on. And then the others all went overnight because they thought, oh, oh we, we'll do it because it kind of spreads the, spreads the blame, if you like. And yeah. um, we, can, we can shelter in the fact that there are several of us doing it all at once. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, so for those who don't, don't know, uh, InfoWars is the show by the right-wing conspiracy theorist Alex Jones in the US. Um, he is just quite something. I mean, he's, I've got this lovely list of his uh, top conspiracy theories. Do you want to hear them? Yeah, please. Um, so he thinks Lady Gaga's Super Bowl halftime show earlier this year was a cover for a satanic rite. And he thinks Bill and Melinda Gates are uh, well, trying to wipe out think, minorities. Think, sorry? Bill and Melinda Gates with their foundation are, are not actually trying to help people. They're trying to wipe out minorities. They're eugenicists. Right. This um, is up there with David Icke and yeah. the reptilians. And the whole thing about the, um, that, oh, what was it, the harp or something? So the government's manipulating the weather to murder people on demand. Mm. So these are the things that he believes. Anyway, so, yeah, he's um, he's been banned from Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. They're all taking down his videos, his channels. His app has been removed by Apple from the App Store. Mm -hmm. uh, Spotify is, got rid of them. Yeah, this is, uh, this is interesting stuff because he had millions and millions of followers yeah. and said some really, really weird stuff. Yeah, this is the worst I've I don't take any great joy in people being um, banned off anything, but uh, normal rules of law, you would think, would work for this sort of thing. They'd let Mueller rape kids in front of people, which he did. I mean, Mueller covered up for a decade for Epstein kidnapping kids, flying them on sex planes, some kids as young as seven years old, reportedly, with big perverts raping them. Right. Uh, that's just a little thing. He was also the one, one of the people who believed in that whole Hillary Clinton and the uh, pedophile ring of yeah. pizza place or something. Yeah, yeah. Pizzagate. Yeah. Pizzagate, yes. It's like, right. wow. Anyway, so, yeah, um, it's best the way things are at the moment and things that people are believing it's best that they don't have access to this kind of suppose so but now he'll be saying told you. i told you yeah. conspiracy's true yeah he will gay frogs <laughs> i'll miss the memes <laughs> gay frogs that was brilliant 
People would only just not take him seriously. He's a cartoon character. Yeah, but that's the problem, right? People do take him seriously. Yeah. Lots of people. Mm. There's like millions of subscribers. But the, how listeners. many take him seriously, though? I reckon oh, maybe one. No. Donald no, Trump. Well. Wow. I don't know. I, think, I have yes. no idea, but he is a lot. You would fun watch, wouldn't you? I watch Fox. <laughs> And, and it's not just—it's not for the information. Well, obviously, because there isn't really it's, anything it's on it. But just yes. for the joy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Susie Wiles, thank you very, very much for My pleasure. skeptical thoughts this week. And next up, find out about this book called *The Pursuit of Dreams* by Doctor Doctor Dragos Banasatu. <laughs> This is the Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. A book that came from the publishers and I went, ooh, I wonder what this is about. It's under the label of self-help. It says that in the top right-hand corner. Uh, So I think that's for people in bookstores to figure out where to put it. The Pursuit of Dreams. Claim your power, follow your heart, and fulfill your destiny. Dr. Dragos Batasanu, uh, with a lot of uh, scientific background, at least it seems, and the author is with us. Dragos, welcome along to Radio Live. Hello, everybody. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Now, you're a young man. You're far too young to be writing things about, you know, how, how, to, how to run your life or to tell anybody else how to. What, how did you come to do right. this? Well, I think the first idea is that it's not a self-help or a how-to book. It's a lot of... Uh, I'll just tell you briefly how I got to write a book. My story began about 34 years ago in Eastern Europe. So I grew up in Romania during the last years of communism. So... Um, I don't know if you know too much about communism, but I grew up in an environment of lack and an environment of fear because we had just the the basics and just the minimum from the government. But in return for the basic food and the basic shelter, the government took away all the freedom of people. Uh, You couldn't leave the country if you said the wrong things about freedom, if you spoke the wrong thing. You could end up in jail or even worse, in, you know, tortured or in a, in, a, in a dungeon somewhere. So in this environment, what happened was a lot of people just secluded themselves from the world and um, hid everything about themselves. They hid and they rationalized away their dreams, their willpower, um, anything. So they just locked the doors of their minds on the inside in order to survive the environment. Now, whatever, what I saw in my, in my upbringing, in my family, in my friends, was that whenever you suppress the truth, it becomes toxic on the inside. And that pain, by suppressing everything about what you feel called to do, what you want to do, about your will, that pain, the only way that people around me have, they, they knew how to cope with the pain was through alcohol, which led to addictions and in the end to death. Now, growing up with so much hurt by witnessing these behaviors, it took me about 30 years to understand why this is happening and uh, actually to heal everything. When I went to NASA, I went to NASA in Florida, and I got the chance to be mentored by the person who built Hubble Space Telescope. So he was the leader, the top of the, of the program that built Hubble Space Telescope, the most famous satellite in history. 
And he explained to me, because that was his area of research, what drives the human mind, what drives our decisions, our behaviors. And he said, it's never how, how smart you are. It's never how, uh, how powerful your will is or how strong you're as an individual. Because the key that either you know, allows you to fill your dreams and your destiny or that shatters everything in your life is the social environment. So by, because I understood that the social environment is the driver of everything, I was, I was able, first of all, to heal my, you know, my entire life of carrying so much hurt from my upbringing. But also I, I, I got the chance to understand that if I want to make something out of my life, the first thing I, want to, I have to pay close attention to is the people I surround myself with and the social environment overall. So this is actually one of the reasons why I left. Um, I left Romania and I moved to New Zealand. So when you, I think you're totally right. I'm a bit young to talk about uh, how to, but the book, The Pursuit of Dreams, is not my knowledge that I gathered in my 34 years of life. It's the knowledge of, of NASA legends, of uh, entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley, because I've learned. I spent six months at NASA being trained and being mentored by, by some of the best minds that flew into space, astronauts, uh, the leadership at NASA, or the celebrity entrepreneurs from Silicon Valley. Yeah, there's a lot from people with scientific prestige in, in here. It has the sound and the cover has the imagery of a, of a scientific book. Um, the book is a combination of three things. It's about, um, it's about the science of the mind, is about discovering your inner freedom as an individual because what I've learned from spending uh, 10 years traveling on five continents is that dreams are not about what you get, what you achieve, or the money you make, or whatever experience you have. Your dreams are about your uniqueness and your full expression of yourself in this world. So that's the, the main reason for following those dreams is to seek the fullest, full expression of ourselves as individuals. That's the core of my work. Okay. You talk a lot about truth and, and, and being honest with yourself and walking, yeah. living living in truth. Truth with a capital T. Um, yeah. Honesty is important to you? Honesty is, is not important. It's fundamental to a healthy life. Because when people look at... If you look at yourself as an individual, you have... Uh, you have a mind, you have a body, and you have a heart or a spirit, right? Well, the body and the mind are not so important because your heart is the one that tells you the truth about yourself. So unless you honor truthfully what's on the inside, the opposite of truth is obviously a lie, right? So the only option you have is you're either living in truth, you're either honoring what's in your heart, or you are rejecting it, rationalizing or dismissing it, which becomes a lie. So there's only two options. So, so that's for me the truth why it's so important. It's, it's, the, it's the basic of having the inner power to follow your dreams. It's the basic of healing anything about your life. One thing I've learned, probably the best thing I've learned from NASA about leadership, leadership in terms of individual leadership and leadership as teams, uh, countries, nations, whatever you want to call it, is everything starts by accepting the uncomfortable reality of a situation. It's the most difficult thing to do, but unless, you, unless people accept the uncomfortable reality, uh, we cannot solve the problems.
now just regarding honesty, it, yeah. there, there's a lot of sort of scientific sounding stuff in here, but just doing a, a little bit of research, um, mm -hmm. uh, you really, you, to be, you've got to be honest here. You are a Christian evangelist. And I'll, I'll, I'll just play a cut from one of your pieces here. I would like to reveal to you the secret to abundant health. Now, somewhere in the beginning of the Bible, it says that if you want to have abundant health, you must do the will of the Heavenly Father. If you want to have health in your bodies, you must do the will of God. If you don't know the heart of our Heavenly Father, you really don't understand what it means. Why do I have to do the will of the Father to have abundant health? And I would like to explain it to you, because in my prayers, in my studies, I kept asking God, I want to have a logical understanding of this universe. I want to have a logical understanding about spirituality, about, about the Holy Spirit, about how things work through us and for us in this world. Okay, that's uh, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, uh, quote from you. It's only when we find Christ, Jesus Christ, that we find our true true home. Just, I don't, really don't get that from this book, and um, I'll be honest, uh, that's a, it's a Trojan horse, isn't it, for your evangelism? Uh, no, because, I mean, I don't know what you mean by Trojan horse. Um, the book was written about one or two years ago before I found Christ. So to answer your question, so I didn't grow up in a in a Christian family, or the book was written one or two years ago before I found Christ. Really? And that and that's where my my entire journey had totally and completely changed. Okay, yeah. and and this uh, what you were looking for it led you to giving your life to to Christ in, in the evangelical uh, way. It's it's said. Um, what happened was I went. If you want to have this conversation and. Um, what happened to me was I went through through a period of time of three years of of extremely dark depression back mm -hmm. in Romania, back in Eastern Europe, and I had searched everything. So for ten years I searched everything from uh, the power of the mind, the New Age things, the Buddhists, the, any kind of spiritual tradition or any kind of theological things I've just read or researched. And honestly, I I did because I grew up. Uh, in an, let's say uh, it's a it's a Christian country, but the way that they approach the ch the church just pushed me away out of Christianity. So I wanted to have I didn't want to have anything to do with uh, with religion or Christianity. I just ran away from it as far as possible. So what happened was after my three years of depression, in the, in in the lowest point, I just cried out, "Well, God, if you are real and if there is if you exist." I really need your help, and I need it now. So what happened was I flew to Hawaii at a, uh, at a friend's farm, and he said to me, look, if you, if you ever get the chance to, uh, to read the book by Catherine Kuhlman, I had no idea who Catherine Kuhlman was, and just go ahead and buy it on Amazon and read it. So I went there alone by myself, nobody else uh, around me, because I wanted to figure out, okay, how do I heal this? Because I was... On a on a on a, on a depression scale, I was 4.5 out of 5, which means five years suicidal. So 4.5 was almost close. So I I looked on Amazon. I saw this book called The Greatest Power in the World, and I thought because of my upbringing of the studying about the power of the mind, about the psychology of the mind, and so on, I thought, well, this is a power, it's a book about the mind. 
So when I received the book in the mail, I was all alone in the house, in the kitchen. I opened the book and I started to read, and uh, the person said, well, uh, Catherine Kuhlman was a great minister of God in the 1940s and 50s. Obviously, I wasn't around in the 40s and 50s, and so I had no idea who she was. And the very last line said, if you have not made the full surrender to Jesus Christ, do it now. The moment I, I read this line, the last sentence, I felt like like an electroshock going through my heart, like a, I was struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. My eyes collapsed, and the moment I, I in, a, in a second, everything, my depression, my anxiety, my, my guilt, my shame, all I've been carrying for so much, for three or four years now, it was instantly healed. Okay, how would you, like, having a look at your yeah. book today, though, you given your conversion in that uh, way that you've described, and mm-hmm. um, you would look at this book as it's published today and say it was written by a different person? Does it misrepresent where you're from? Because it doesn't mention Jesus Christ and things like that, but kind of alludes to it. No, because... Um so even before I had my, you know, my healing and my conversion, if you want to say it this way, yeah. the principles in the book are the same. We are, we all have the dreams in our heart that we want to follow. Uh, our our minds are the same, and they adapt to the social environment uh, in the same way. We still have to do the work and go through the difficult times, and knowing each step where we are, it's the same process. It's the same process. If you were going to write another book, though, today, a, a, a new one, you would share your evangelism? You wouldn't hide your light under a bushel? You uh, wouldn't deny your conversion? Lest the no, cock no. crow? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. All right. Will you be writing books about evangelism? Probably not. I don't think it's my it's my mission in this life to write about uh, evangelism. But uh, mostly, I, I will be sharing the story of uh, of my healing and um, and the journey of going around the world, following my dreams. That's probably what I'm going to write about. Okay, and you can be found easily on, on YouTube, as you know. Some of the audio that I've got there is uh, from you know one of many. What is mm-hmm. what is the thrust behind what you're doing um, online? What are you wanting to do online? You know, you're, you're going there for a purpose. Uh, what I'm doing online now, I'm just yeah. sharing. I'm just sharing my knowledge, and whoever wants to learn, it's it's there for for free. That's the only motivation. That's. But it is evangelism. You are asking people to give their their lives to, to Christ, Christ of the New Testament. Um, yes, but also what I'm doing is I'm just I'm, I'm teaching how to how, how people can fulfill their dreams regardless of their circumstances okay. and, and heal everything about their life. Yeah, but you have said the only way to do that is to find God and then Christ. Well, yes and no. I think if you truly want to fill the spiritual emptiness that uh, a lot of people live with today, mm. that's the only way. Okay. And you've got Hand on Heart. You wrote this book before your conversion to Christianity. Yep, yep. It's an interesting read. The Pursuit of Dreams. Claim your power, follow your heart, and fulfill your destiny. Uh, Dr. Dragos Pratisan.
I appreciate your time, and I'm really glad we could we've been able to make this clear since uh, your conversion kind of gives us a different light on what you're actually up to. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I think it's only fair to be able to give you uh, a bit more of the position held by the author, Dr. Dragos Bratisanu. Here he is himself. I kept receiving the information and I kept getting the knowledge and the revelation to be able to share it with you. Now, in John, it says God is love. So the spirit of life, which is the spirit of God, is the same as the spirit of love. It's a profound logic behind every single word in, uh, in the New Testament, in the Bible. If you want to have abundant health, do the will of the Father. Because the will of God, when it comes through you, it's the same will that you have in your heart. Now, if you remember times when you were sick, guaranteed you didn't do the will of God. The secret to healing your body, the secret to having health, is to do the will of the Father. How do you start? You go for a walk alone, close yourself in the room, all by yourself alone, and you open your heart to God and you ask for forgiveness. So the reason for repentance, the reason for asking for forgiveness, is actually for the Holy Spirit to be able to flow through you and clean all the blockages that your mind has raised against love. When you invite Christ to dwell within you, when you give him, just take over. I have no idea what I'm doing. I give you my mind, I give you my body, I give you my heart. The spirit of love, the spirit of truth, the spirit of, of life fills your body. And you begin to live again in heaven, right here on earth, because you begin to eat again from the tree of life. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. There's a tiny little penguin. It lives in Fiordland. Uh, this isn't, isn't the start of a fairy tale or a children's book. It's actually the beginning of a scientific report, which you may find. I think you will find it surprising. These little things swim thousands of kilometres to reach their feeding grounds from nesting sites on New Zealand's west coast. How do we know? Somebody stuck something on them and found out. And that person, Thomas Matten, out of the University of Otago. Hello, hello, Thomas. Hi, Graham. How are you? Good. All right. What species are we talking about here? And are they endemic to New Zealand? We're talking about the Fjordland penguins, or Tawaki, as I prefer to call them. And yes, they're endemic to New Zealand. They're one of six species that we have in New Zealand, which is one-third of the world's penguin species. All right. Now describe the thing. I'd say medium-sized penguin species, around 40 to 50 centimeters tall. It's black and white, like most penguins, but it has these remarkable yellow crests, these yellow eyebrows that just, you know, give it a very stylish look. It's got red piercing eyes and it's got a beak that can be very intimidating if you're up close to it. Right. It looks like a thicker beak than I'm used to with a penguin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, been in contact with quite a few penguin beaks uh, over the term of my career, and uh, they are easily the most frightful beaks I, I have to come close to. Draw blood a bull? 
Oh yes, yes. Uh, I think I think every every hit is uh, is bound to to draw some blood. Yeah, they've got this hooked bill, which makes it perfect to catch fish, but it's also very perfect to pierce the skin. And yeah, you you get it, get out of the field with lots of new scars every year. Badges of honor for people like yourself. All right. Exactly. How long do they remain at sea, and what's their life cycle? When they're breeding, they can't go out far. So they have chicks and have, have chicks to raise and to feed. Um, they hardly stay see, for longer than a day. Uh, when the chicks are a bit older, they're, they're out for two to three days. So that's all pretty normal stuff. Once breeding is over, however, they disappear into the big blue. And until recently, we had no ideas where they, where they were going. We had all these lofty theories, which were all not correct, as a study then revealed. So they travel very long ways when they're not busy with, with raising chicks. Okay, where do they go and how far? The ones we tracked, we, we tracked them during the most crucial period of their of the annual life cycle. So after breeding and before the annual molt. In penguins, it's that way that um, they can't afford to molt one feather at a time because that way they would have holes in their perfect plumage, which keeps them insulated from the water. So they molt all at once. So they lose all the feathers within three weeks and grow new ones. And they, that means they can't go out to fish. And uh, they rely on their on their body resources. So we thought, since since there's only eight to ten weeks between the end of breeding and the start of the mold, we thought that they wouldn't travel very far. Uh, we never expected them to go halfway to Antarctica, but they did. Good God! Um, yes. You must have stuck something on them. What's the process? We use little satellite trackers. So these are little transmitters that are attached to the penguins uh, using uh, just adhesive tape, really, and, and a bit of epoxy. And these, these things then ping out to a few satellites that are buzzing around uh, in the orbit, and they relay the position of the penguin in real time to our computers in the office. So we, we got about uh, between six to eight position fixes for, for each bird, and we had 20 birds fitted with these transmitters. I've got to ask this. Because if they're feeding chicks, they need to find plenty of fish. I want to get one of these penguins, sit them down, look them in the eye and say, why on earth are you doing this? You've got fish just over there. Stick around. You don't have to do this. Why are you off? That's exactly what I would love to do as well. I mean, I, I get close to them uh, almost every year, and I wish I could speak their language and directly what this is about, because at the moment we don't really know <laughs> what they're thinking. They leave on these thousands of kilometer long journeys right in the uh, late spring, early summer season when the productivity around the New Zealand mainland is at its peak. All the other penguin and seabird species, they only start breeding then. So there's really no need for them to travel all the way down into the subantarctic, yet they do. And if they could tell me what this is about, that, that would help us tremendously. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Because nature hates wastage of energy. It usually culls it out. It takes quite a bit of effort. Killer jewels, a lot of fish you got to eat to keep going on this stupid trek. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, it, it tells us still quite a, quite a few bits about that species. First of all, that they can afford to go on these long journeys means that they live in tip-top shape compared to other penguin species. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Tawaki are crested penguins, and unlike all the other crested penguin species, Tawaki are the only ones that breed very far north in, in the temperate region. The other species are all subantarctic species. So they're all on, on tiny islands, and when they're done with breeding, the vicinity of the island is, is virtually fish-free because all the birds had, had fished it all out. So they have to travel. But, but in Tawaki, they have uh, an endless supply of, of food. 
yeah, there you go down there. It's pretty amazing. The only explanation we have at this stage really is that it's some sort of an ancestral gene that tells them, an, an instinct that tells them to go down south because, you know, they're crested penguins and they, they are supposed to go to the sub-Antarctic at this time of the year. They've forgotten why. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. They, they, it, it's just something tells them to, to go there and they just happily oblige. And because they can afford it, obviously, they, they come back uh, in, in, in great shape. Yeah, they can still do it. Far out. It's like those turtles that travel stupid distances to find a beach that's no better than any other to lay their eggs. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right. What's their conservation status? Are they doing okay while they're keeping up the compulsory marathon? Um, they're currently rated as, as vulnerable. So they're one of, um, we, we've got, as I said earlier, we've got six penguin species in New Zealand, and five of them are classified as, as threatened by the IUCN Red List, and Tawaki are one of them. Mm. So they're, they're considered vulnerable, and it is believed their population has declined in the past 30 years. There are only about 5,000 to 7,500 feeding pairs around, at least that's the latest estimate. Um, so there are not many of them to start with. Mm. Well, we studied them in, in the past few years. It seems as if they are more than that, but still uh, not a lot. So, um, yeah, they're a threatened species. They are exposed to lots of threats because they live and breed on the mainland. They're close to humans. That usually has some disadvantages for, for wild species, like pollution. Uh, we've got human disturbance and so on. But still, you know, just despite all these setbacks in terms of their breeding habitat, they seem to be doing okay and still can afford these long journeys. I know what we could do. Should we just ring up Hamish Carter, the triathlete guy who won the gold medal? <laughs> and we just why do you do it? It's a bit well, like that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he gets some medals and fame and fortune from yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, the penguins, you know, nobody knew about the penguins to start with, and they've been doing that for probably thousands of years already. So, I don't know. I don't know if, if Hamish could, could tell us what's in it for the penguins. Do you know if they make landfall at the Auckland Islands or Campbell? Um, the odd one does, but uh. um, it would make sense. If you travel 3,000 kilometres south, that then take the, the next island to, to mold. It doesn't really matter where, where you mold, really. No. Um, but the majority of the birds, they went all the way back home, all the way to the mainland, and they just disregarded that there was Macquarie Island and the Auckland Islands and the Sneers and, and Stewart Island, all, all convenient locations on the way. They just ignored them and traveled straight back home to Fjordland. Far out. Just leave Fjordland, swim, swim, swim this could go on for some time swim and <laughs> and then next time they make landfall it's back fjordland exactly yeah, huh? yeah all right it's pretty amazing if you compare what they do with what other penguin species do at that time they also travel in a straight line they just go bang straight down to to their destination 3000 kilometers south there's no dotting around or undulating or so other penguins now they it looks like they like they're trying to to draw a doodle on the map there when they when they're on their migration whereas the tawaki they go straight one way turn around straight back it's pretty fascinating really is there a missing island Maybe, maybe, maybe they, they can pinpoint the location of Atlantis, who knows? Yeah, how do they find their way around? It's a good question. There are many theories. Nobody has, has really nailed it down how penguins or seabirds in general can navigate. But mm. um, certainly there are theories that uh, they can use the magnetic field, the Earth's magnetic field to orientate 
Um, but also specifically in penguins, it has been uh, it, it is believed that they can use smell to pinpoint locations of high productivity over over hundreds of kilometers. So mm. then there's the sun compass on, and uh, you've got currents and, and water gradients. So all all different different kind of physical properties that they can use, and it's probably a mix of all of these factors, all of these properties that they use to find a way around. Yeah, okay. I can understand exactly how you feel. You really want an answer from them, don't you? What a thing. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Thomas Matten yeah, from no the University of Otago. Maybe one day we'll get to the bottom of it, but that is weird okay. and a great yeah, story. Yeah, cool. Okay. Thank you, Thomas. Cheers. No worries. Bye. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. Oh, well, nice to do a little bit of natural history of a Sunday night. Usually uh, it's the preserve of the Saturday Enviro News thing. But that penguin story, I think fascinating. Why do they do it? Nature hates hates waste, but stupid animals. Anyway, um, talking about stupid animals, uh, the people at $2.40 predator-free 2050 New Zealand stamp, and it's got New Zealand wildlife on it. It's got the Jetsons in the background, how we're all supposed to be living. That picture hasn't changed since 1939, actually. There's somebody, is there a craft there? And someone flying through the sky? That's the idea of the stamp. And they've got a Weka. Tick. They've got a Tuatara. Svenadon punctatus. Yes. There's a Gecko. Yes. Uh, it's a native New Zealand one by the looks. It's a native wood pigeon and a butterfly from North America. Yeah, a butterfly from North America. Really? I've had a lot of time to get this right. Ask someone who knows. News, sport and win next.